0: We are in a series called Love Math. That's what this is declaring right here. That is the series we're in, and we get to do this together. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to be here throughout the series, but we're continuing in our study of one of the books of the Bible called Ephesians. And this is a letter written by Paul to a group of people who'd said yes to Jesus in a community in a city called Ephesus. And so that's what we've been feeding off of over many months. And in this series in Love Math, we're trying to understand what God has proclaimed and how it translates itself into love and into love action. So We're going to continue in that today. But before we get there, uh, this is family reunion season, isn't it? Wow, it's a lot of quiet. Okay, family reunion season Now the benefit of family reunions is you typically get to schedule them, and you get to pick a location, or someone does, and then you get to decide who's going to be there. And most of us, I, I know, we're inclined to get excited or less excited based on when it is, where it is, and who it is. Now if you have planned on a family reunion this summer and are willing to admit it, raise your hand. Any of you doing family reunions? Good. The rest of us can pray for each other in regard to family reunions. No, they're awesome. They're fantastic, especially when you know what's going to happen there and you're excited about the experience. Sometimes family reunions happen unscheduled. And that was the case with myself and my family this past March. I didn't pick the date, I didn't pick the place, I didn't pick the experience, but KU Med did. So this past March, I ended up making a contribution to science. It so happened that uh, I discovered I needed a plumber, and uh, a highly trained, sophisticated kind of plumber. I needed heart surgery. So I'd gone to the hospital, uh, had not experienced a heart attack, but I had some things going on that I needed to find out what was what was going on. And the last test in the process was my catheterization doctor, where they take the tube in and go up and actually look at the heart. The tests up to that point hadn't demonstrated I had a problem. Um, In fact, my cath doctor wasn't sure I needed that procedure, but on the other side of the procedure, he was really glad we'd gone in. It was a good day for fishing. He found five blockages that needed immediate attention. So Friday of that week it gets corrected. Farmer goes in, does a phenomenal job. But what was most exciting about the whole experience is my kids gathered around. And so as you saw in that first picture, we pull it up again. My wife is uh, to the far side, our daughter is beside her Anna, Andrew our oldest and then Barrick our uh, youngest. So we gathered up from Chicago, Colorado, our daughter lives here in Kansas City. And uh, there we were in recovery. Um, The pillow was there because if you've uh, had anyone who you know or you personally have had heart surgery, after the fact, like any of that movement that goes on around your chest, you want to try to provide outside support. In fact, I was most concerned that the first time I sneezed, what in the world was I going to do if a sneeze showed up? I mean, it just, I won't tell you what I did. But anyway, you know, you, you, you learn to manage it. This is my family reunion. Right here at KU. So that included our grandkids. They came up and paid a visit. And this was the first time for most of them. They had the opportunity to be in the hospital. So that crew came up. Let me show you the picture of them. There are a pack of them. We got seven grandchildren from our daughter Anna, and they all gathered around. All kinds of questions. Anna had been really carefully coaching them on being quiet. And so our youngest, the little guy down there on the on my left, he. Uh, he came in with his fingers over his lips, And he honored it, really, for the whole time he was there. But as they came in, of course, they had to experience the hospital bed. They all had to, had the opportunity to push buttons, find out what the bed did or didn't do. So we kept the nurses away during that time just so we could make it a really fun family reunion. And then, of course, our three-year-old has all kinds of questions. He wants to see it. He wants to touch it. What are these wires? What are those tubes? Why you have bandages? I mean, just all kinds of stuff. So we're we're in a little quiz down session here at a safe distance, and uh, he was phenomenal. And then they all headed out with smiles. I would say they had a great time at our family reunion. And down they go. They also got a chance to see where their mom works, which they hadn't had the opportunity to do yet. So yeah, unscheduled, unplanned. Didn't get to pick the place. Thank God for the people. It was a really good family so that makes this father's day kind of special for me for us we're really really grateful for god's generosity toward us as a family toward me personally as you head to your family reunion i hope you have great stories to offer and great stories to tell as you come back that it's a really good time for you but this is father's day and on father's day we want to highlight and feature fathers but also want to speak to everyone who is here And so the focus of today, even as we work our way from the Scripture, we'll focus on today. The focus for today is, how does my life have influence on the people around me? How does your life have influence on the people around you? And as a father, there's some specific kinds of influences we get to have. As fathers, as grandfathers, there's some specific kinds of influence we get to have. But the big question is, how do we have influence on the people around us. The kind of influence that could change the next generation. Well, one of the things that's fun to do is to get the perspective of children. And so uh, Steve took the opportunity to interview some kids and get their perspective about family life. And we just wanted to offer you their perspective. It may include some of your kids. So this, have fun with this. What's your name? Avery. Avery. And, and I see, show me your smile again. You are missing a tooth. How many teeth have you lost? Uh, five. That's a ton of teeth. Tell me three things your parents do for you. They cook dinner for me. They protect me, and they love me. Wow. How do they protect you? Uh, they keep me safe. How do you take care of your parents? Um, help my mom with dinner. Pretty helpful. Does your mom like it when you help her make dinner? Yeah. Does your dad ever help your mom make dinner? Mm. Mm. Not looking good for dad, is it? Well. And then the last one, um, it got stuck in an apple. That's a cool see that's cool. But what if you accidentally ate one of your teeth? Wouldn't that be weird? Yeah. Yeah. And he also has a lot of tattoos like I do. That's why you got it. Because you want to be like your dad, right? Mm Mm-hmm. They sometimes take me um, to McDonald's so we can get some milkshakes. Yeah. That's a good parent right there. And we also actually once went to the the, um, zoo, and I got got to pet a... um, giraffe have you ever given a giraffe a milkshake nah you should try it sometime but I'm afraid it's gonna take my whole milkshake well yeah but then you can be like I have tattoos and I give milkshakes to giraffes. like I, they said I have to go to school and I was like I don't want to go to school because like, I don't want to go to school ever I get it so they said okay cool you don't have to go to school today Here's some ice cream, stay home. No. Play video games. No. Nope. They didn't say that? Mm mm-hmm. what did they say? They said go to school and then like they just straight and then I once I got to school I felt I felt like I was having fun at school. Oh, so they were right. Yeah. So <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Yeah. That's awesome. So maybe as time permits today, you or someone else could do an interview with the kids in your circle of influence, and uh, they'll be candid. You know, they'll offer you what's really going on. They'll give you an opportunity to hear their heart, and it is usually a lot of fun. You know, I remember looking back as uh, as I was anticipating getting married, I was really excited about it. Judy's phenomenal, um, but the prospect of being married and figuring out how to be married was exciting. I had a sense of confidence about that. It was completely naive. I mean, please, it was completely naive. But I was really excited about that. I felt like we'd worked on the things we needed to work on. We had some rails to run on. We we were ready to go for this. But the prospect of having children, not so exciting to me. I, I didn't feel ready. I didn't feel like I had the rails to run on. I didn't feel like I had what gave me confidence about having kids. I don't know if that's similar to your experience or not. The reality is that once you get married and once you have kids, you're forced in one sense to figure stuff out. It's just like on you. You've got to do it. And what I think Paul is expressing to us today by the power of the Spirit is that as fathers, we can do it. We get to do it. You can do it. You get to do it. No matter where you are in the father journey, you may not be one, but everyone here has had one, may still have one. So you have history and you have story, You have dreams and desires. Somewhere in that spectrum, you have had a father experience that has to translate itself right down to where you and I live. As fathers, what the scriptures declare over and over again is we can do this we get to do this so the focus for today is that we're hands-on dads and the role we play shapes the next generation as fathers fathering the way god fathers us we get to shape the next generation however we father we shape the next generation my father was a hands-on dad He was raised in a rustic, simple cabin up in the foothills of the Allegheny Mountains in New York. His father did lumber work and ran a mill, but their life was real basic, real simple, almost survival-level. My grandfather came to believe in Jesus late in his adult life, and it changed his life. I didn't learn this until his death, and we're at the funeral of my grandfather, and my uncle offers an observation at the mealtime after the funeral. During the funeral, different stories were told. He told some stories. His sister told some stories. Now, they're 11 and 12 years older than my dad. My dad tells some stories. and Some of us and his grandchildren told stories. They were really different stories. But my uncle's observation at our meal following the funeral was, I think we buried two different men today. And that really caught me off guard. I, I didn't quite know what to make of it initially. It's like, well, what do you mean? He began to tell stories of his experience of my grandfather. All the way up to the time where he uh, joined the Special Forces in World War II and put himself in dire harm's way in that context. Survived it to tell stories. But uh, he had one experience of my grandfather. My dad had another experience. And the difference was my grandfather had come to believe in Jesus. He was a different man. That impacted my father, who came to believe in Jesus as a teenager, late in high school. He said yes to Jesus, and it changed his life. He then had impact on me and our family, and I came to Jesus at the age of seven. So it's this generational impact doesn't always go this way, but it does, in fact, go this way more often than not. Where you are as a dad, where you are as a father, has a life shaping influence on the next generation. What we do and how we do it does impact the future. Paul recognizes this. And so as we turn to Ephesians chapter 6, Paul puts in focus this issue of fathering. And here's the instruction he gives Fathers, do not exasperate your children, instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, if exasperate's not a word you've used recently, let's just take a moment and and look at what it means. To exasperate means to compel someone to action that they can't fulfill. It's this angry demand. Usually it has a lot of emotion in it. There's pressure. It can be harsh. But what's being demanded is an unrealistic expectation, especially for a child. Doesn't match who they are. Doesn't match what they can do. And as a result, it exasperates them. Causes them to withdraw. Causes them to hold on to their own feelings and emotions about what they've just experienced and not know how to express it. It it kind of builds a ticking time bomb. It boxes them in and then blames them for being boxed in. That's exasperation. My guess is possibly you've experienced that. I know I've been responsible for doing it. It's not a good thing. And Paul's exhortation here is, be aware of your inclination to direct your children out of anger or frustration. Don't, don't do that. It will shape the next generation, just not in a good way. Just don't exasperate your children, but instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So bring them up simply means shepherd them. Shepherd them. Bring them along with you as little sheep into maturity, into a life of mission and purpose. Shepherd them to be a full person and to have full purpose. That's the privilege we have as fathers. Furthermore, he says, train them. This word training is a directive kind of term. In other words, give them a way to live. Give them marching orders. Be corrective. Be a disciplinarian. Set expectations. Don't pull back. That is actually nurturing when we direct them correctively. Giving them good directive, corrective, developmental discipline is what this word training means. He says, don't just train them, but instruct them. This word means instill in their mind. In other words, admonish them. Give them the words they need to know how to see things, how to think about things, how to engage with things. Instruct them, instill it in their minds, And then last, he says, do this as God would do it, as unto the Lord. In other words, offer them what God is offering you as a father, and invite them to experience it with you. So of the Lord means as God does, in keeping with his character and his conduct, his principles and his practices. So it's a short verse. It's kind of loaded. And as a dad, you may initially hear that as a big weight. Like, oh my goodness, something else I'm not doing well. That's not what Paul intends for us to hear here. He intends for us to hear the lift. And the lift is this. Prior to this moment in this letter, Paul has been talking about all the ways God has been treating us like this. God has not been exasperating us, but God has been disciplining us. He's been training us and instructing us that we might have the fullness of who He is and what He has to offer, that we'd be filled up with Him. And Paul is saying, we get the opportunity to do this with our own children as fathers, What a great way to influence. He offers us a picture of some powerful paternal practices. Let's jump into these just real quick. One of the things God does toward us and Paul would encourage this is we see our children as a priority. We see our children as a priority. We invest intentional engagement in our children. This isn't passive. This isn't momentary. This isn't out of obligation or duty. It's priority. As God did, He made us a priority of His to come after us and to offer Himself to us. Powerful priority. Secondly, God offers us His presence. In other words, He came to us fully. He was fully present. He was fully engaged with us. And that's what Paul's challenging us to do here as fathers be fully present and fully engaged with our kids, not distracted not pulled aside with other interests. We have those. We have our digital devices today that are so easy to go to as a distraction. But we have our workload. We have our own concerns and issues. All of these things can be distractions to us. The challenge of living out what's instructed to us here in Ephesians 6.4 is that we be present. We be fully on in our engagement. Thirdly, we be purposeful. And he's describing a purposefulness here that is directional. Like we're going somewhere together. There's something important that we're about. We're not aimless. It's not as though we have no picture, no plan, no passion. We're we're purposeful. We're going somewhere. And then last, we're persistent. There's a press in this. And I would describe that as timeless engagement. There are times when my fathering felt more natural. It felt kind of easy. But most of the time, it required a decision on my part to be persistent, to press into it, to go after it, because it's just that important. What can set me aside is exhaustion, other activities, things that take my energy. And therefore, my energy and focus isn't available to my children this is how God has interacted with us he's treated us as a priority he's initiated toward us he's treated us with his presence he's like revealed himself to us he's been real purposeful so there isn't like random interaction or unexplained engagement he's he's very purposeful in direction and he's persistent God doesn't tire of loving us and pursuing us, of revealing himself to us, of engaging with us. He doesn't get exhausted with other activities. He's persistent with us. You know, one of the things that Paul would encourage every one of us to do is to really know who God is, and out of knowing who God is, learn how to be a father like God is. One of the resources I want to encourage you to do, pick up and and work your way through, is a resource called Knowing God. And in this book, uh, J.I. Packer gives us a lesson in the character and the conduct of God that really helps us hear his heart, helps us know who he is and how he fathers, invites us to experience him that way. Knowing God is a great resource, Dad. I encourage you to pick it up. If you feel like, I don't know how to give my kids the story of God in my life, it's a great resource to spend time in. A second resource I'd offer is a book entitled The Knowledge of the Holy. The Knowledge of the Holy. And in this book, Tozer walks through how is it we get practical about our experience of God. How is it we flesh it out, offer it to others as authentic to us. These are great resources I just encourage you to put your your hands on because as dads, we don't have to make this stuff up. Like we don't just have to come up with our own our own ways of dealing with our kids. We don't have to strive at it. We we receive something from the Father that we offer to our children. I just want to encourage you to take advantage of those resources. I want to go to how do I do this? How How do I engage in this in a way that actually makes the difference I know my life was intended to make as a father or a grandfather? Really, how does anyone do this? How do you have this kind of influence on the people around you? Let me suggest three ways of investing that every one of us can embrace and take a hold of. The first way to invest is with our head. In other words, with our kids. Do your kids know how you think? Do your kids know the perspective you have? Do your kids know how you process what you observe and experience? Do they know how you think? Your kids are dying to know. How you think. They want to know what you think about. They want to know why you think about it. They want to know what's important to you. We do this through storytelling. We do this through conversation. We do this through a lot of listening. We do this through shared experiences. When I was 12 years old, my dad brought home a project for us to share in as a family. He had a manufacturing business, and this particular project was a hands-assembly project and all of us as kids could participate. Now we were rewarded by the number of items we completed. But my dad's genius was, we're gonna do this around the table together. And we're gonna take an hour, sometimes more, and just talk while we did this hand project. Now everybody was handicapped a little bit. So I had an older brother three years older, I had a sister two years younger. And so we didn't get equal score for the amount of work we did because of our age difference I thought that was kind of genius it had to be explained I didn't know what a handicap was but my dad was sharing some of his thinking with me about how to view fairness and then how to share in a project well it so happened that while we were around the table we talked about everything one of the things that helped us talk about everything was my mom got pregnant surprise surprise Yeah we were surprised but not nearly as surprised as mom and dad were. they were like really surprised and they were surprised that we'd be interested in them explaining what this was but my dad had created this context this setting of a shared project around the table where we'd had a lot of conversation about a lot of things so why wouldn't we talk about sex I mean why wouldn't we talk about procreation why wouldn't we talk about pregnancy right there You know, at 12 years old, you're kind of on two sides of that conversation. Do you remember that in your lives? You have a lot of growing interest. I mean, you know, stuff's perking. And you also know it's an unsafe subject, right? Here we are at the table. Gaining the benefit of my father's thinking, my mother's thinking, about something as challenging, didn't realize it at the time, I didn't, but as challenging as having a, late in the family structure addition. How do you help your kids know what you think? Why you think it? What the significance of it is? Offer them your head. We do this as we receive from the Father how our Father thinks. How he processes. And as we experience that, we simply offer that for who we are, for what our life is. But we do it in conversation and in storytelling. Secondly, invest with your hands. In other words, pass on to your kids the skills and abilities that are yours. What can you do with your hands? Again, I mentioned earlier, my dad was really a hands on guy. He had suffered a a major injury while working with his father. When he was a teenager, uh, they were up at the peak of their two, two-and-a-half-story house, and the scaffolding broke, and uh, they went straight to the ground. And as a result, he drove the bones out the bottom of his feet. It took a little time for him to recover, and in the process of recovering, he learned he was an artist. Now, he didn't have much to draw on, but they salvaged cardboard. And he would take these pieces of cardboard and begin to pencil sketch a ranch, a farm, a mountain range. And I remember as a youngster finding those cardboard sketches up in my grandparents' attic. I mean, it was revelatory. I had no idea. I hadn't experienced that with my father. And yet there it was, this skill, this ability. I also came to learn he'd made his own snow skis. He'd made his own snow shoes. I mean, he he was a hands-on kind of guy, and he did that with us. Use of tools, all kinds of driving. We drove all kinds of stuff. We crashed it. I mean, but my dad did it with us. I remember on one experience, I'm on the back of a small motorcycle, and my dad and I are tooling up through the country we're on a dirt road and we hit this intersection where all the gravel collects. Cars go this way and that way and then straight across and this little triangle in the middle gets this collection of gravel. Well, unfortunately, as he's navigating the turn, he gets into the gravel, the stuff in the middle. It's like sand on the beach. You know, it just doesn't go well with you. Well, we end up going down and I can see a mailbox coming. It's set in an old milk can partially buried in the ground. And I'm just... I wish I'd had a picture of my face. I'm sure my eyes were the size of my cheeks. I'm over his shoulder going, my face is going to hit this mailbox. Well, he must have discerned this because at the last moment, he pops his shoulder out and takes out the mailbox and we go down in the ditch. I'm on top of him. Bike's on top of us. And it's all quiet. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm still alive. I don't know if my dad's still alive. We're out in the middle of nowhere with a wrecked bike. So I get up, check myself, lift the bike off of him. He awakens. We get up, we, we realize what's happened. He starts laughing. Now, I'm not sure why. I know we've not been drinking. There's no other reason to, to explain this laughter at a moment of near death. But he's laughing. And I'm like, what, what are you? I mean, the bike... We mess with the bike enough to be able to ride it, but the headlights pointing off into the woods, it's crazy. We don't know what we look like yet until we get home. When we get home, we begin to explain to mom what has happened, and and she's beyond alarmed. She just, we're cut up and scraped up. But What my dad taught me was that you live life in a hands-on way, not safe, not stupid, but in a hands on way. And when you do, you do subject yourself to some risk, some injury, some uncertainty. But by so doing, you learn so much about yourself, and you learn so much about others. You know, as a guy, it's really uncomfortable to not know how to do stuff, isn't it, as a guy? I've worked with guys in the past who were never taught to change a spare tire. Well, that's just, that's really uncomfortable. Most guys don't walk into the coffee shop and say, hey, anybody available to teach me how to change a spare tire today? I'd really like, we just don't do that. We just hide it, we hold it. So we we have a hard time acknowledging what we don't know how to do. The call you and I have been given to make a directive. Corrective, disciplined investment in our children. To instruct them with words that instill in their mind what is right and what is wrong. It requires the investment of our heads so our kids know how we think, how we perceive, how we process, and the investment of our hands for our skills and our abilities. Your kids know how to chop wood Do so they know how to use tools Do so they know how to drive stuff I learned so much mowing lawns. Very instructive, hands-on activity. I mentioned earlier that my father was an entrepreneur and started a factory, a manufacturing business. He thought it would be helpful to instruct me in how to clean factory bathrooms. Now, this was a rubber products factory. If you've ever been around rubber products, they're not clean. They're black dirty, sticky. And of course that ends up all over the bathrooms. A 10-sink, 6-commode female, women's bathroom. A 4-commode, 2-year-old, 4-sink men's bathroom. I would do it twice a week. It was the grossest job ever. I just got to tell you, it was just so gross. My dad understood the grossness of it big rubber gloves you know and I'm wearing this rubber apron and I'm going I started with a hose and I would just start up kind of high just hose down all the way down to the floor and then I'd scrub and scrub my dad would expect the bathroom to sparkle I'm thinking to myself seriously if they're willing to live like it's the way I show up to it I mean sparkle I mean, if it were just improved on, wouldn't that be good enough? It wasn't good enough. Here's why it wasn't good enough. From my dad's perspective, when you apply yourself to a project, it represents you. So do what represents you. Secondly, the people who use this have dignity. Show them dignity. So I learned a few things. I learned how to clean bathrooms. I haven't told Judy that yet, so don't don't let that out. But I learned what it meant to represent yourself and to show dignity to others. That's the hands-on opportunity you and I have as fathers and grandfathers. Get dirty with them. A third way to invest is with our heart. This is probably the hardest part for us as men, as dads. Do your kids know how you feel? Do your kids know your feelings? Do they know why you cry? Do they know why you don't? Do they know how to confront loneliness and loss and sadness and anger and frustration? Do so they know that from you? They know that from you, by the way, because we model these things long before we explain them, right? We, we live it. And our kids pick it up so fast. Our little three year old Hank, oh, dude, I mean, he's a, he's a master observer. And he picks it up. He can't put words to it yet, but he can put actions to it. He knows how you're feeling and the question we have to ask is do we know how God our Father feels toward us he has feelings knowing God will help you access that the knowledge of God will help you access the feelings of God what makes you cry what makes you angry what makes this hard for you? Your kids want to know. How do you feel? A couple other resources I want to offer you as dads. One is a book entitled Voice of the Heart. And in Voice of the Heart, Chip Dodd drills down into eight primary feelings. He offers them as a dad to dad. He offers them as a man to men. He offers them to every one of us as parents these are human feelings it's a great resource I just encourage you to take advantage of that the last resource I want to recommend is Brennan Manning's book Abba's Child in Abba's Child Brennan Manning works from a place of great profound brokenness to a place of exquisite intimacy with the father and God the Father changes his life and he offers us the story of that life change and he invites us to experience the same thing. A couple other things I want to offer around investing your heart. What do your kids know about forgiveness from you? Your experience of forgiveness. Your ability to forgive. What are the challenges of forgiveness? Do they know that? That's such an important heart piece. And then secondly, what do they know about freedom? to live free and full do they have that from you as the father who's investing to shape the next generation you sang the song earlier new wine God wants to do a new thing in every one of us wherever you find yourself on this continuum your experiences with your father with a lack thereof however painful or difficult or good and blessed. You as a father and your contribution to this next generation, as a grandfather, wherever you may find yourself on that spectrum, Paul's challenge to you and to me by the Spirit is invest your, your head, invest your hands, invest your heart. That's the ball we've been given. The ball is in your court and my court. We get to play ball with our kids. You can do it. You get to do it. The Father is doing it with us. As we finish today, Lord, we just ask that by your grace, you would meet us where we are in our needs today around this picture of Father. For some, the mere mention of the word is painful brings a lot of baggage with it that's undesirable. For others, the term challenges to be a father that shapes the next generation. For others, it's a desire. It's a dream. It's an impact we want to have. Wherever we may be on that spectrum, may we be the people who say, Dear Lord God, Heavenly Father, Father me. Be my father. And as you father me, as I receive that and I respond to that, help me offer my experience to those my life has influence on so that they may experience you, Father. They'd experience how you think, what you do, how you feel. They'd be changed by you. Thank you for your generosity toward us that we could even receive of you the kind of father love and the kind of father actions that you take toward us. Help us be the kinds of fathers that bring life change to the next generation. We pray in Jesus' name.